Welcome back to Podcast 6 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Shot Quality Bets for a 30% discount off Shot Quality Bets. Please visit Shot Quality Bets. Use the promo code ODDS23. Get a new perspective in handicapping college basketball. If you'd like to support the Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theozbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers to get our premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com, and if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. We are rolling into the new year. Lots of sports to be capped. We are deep into the season in college basketball. Nice five and four of the weekend. Really happy with how things are going with our bank rolls growing from my plays at theoddsbreakers.com. Want to thank all of you subscribers to the Oddsbreakers, to this podcast, all you listeners out there. Really, really appreciate everything that you do, all the questions, all the comments, all the insights, telling me when I'm right, telling me when I'm wrong. Obviously, I am sometimes. And I want to give a special shout out to the premium subscribers to the Odds Breakers and to myself that keeps this website afloat. I'm glad we're winning right now. I'm glad everything is growing. Our bankrolls are growing. Very excited to keep this thing going throughout 2023 and as far as college basketball into March Madness. We have a great show for you today. Because Adam Chernoff from Raz Sports and the Simple Handicap is coming on to break down NFL Divisional Playoff Week. Can't wait to talk to Adam. Lots of craziness in this market. We're going to find out if these lines are weak. We're going to find out if he thinks these lines are strong. If he's made any plays. I'm going to talk about some of my plays that I'm making. And then I'm going to give you another teaser. It's not a refuse to lose teaser, but it's a teaser that I like coming in to this week. And it goes a little bit against the grain, to be honest with you. So keep that in mind. And then finally, I'm going to get into some college basketball for the weekend. I'm going to talk about some teams that might have some value, some teams that you might want to fade, and a couple of the big games for Saturday. Before we get into all that, there is a number out there placed on Brett Maher after his awful extra point fiasco on Monday Night Football. I mean, thank God the Cowboys were kicking the shit out of him because imagine if it was a close game and he was missing all those extra points. Definitely would have magnified those screw-ups. But now, sportsbooks are going to try to use Maher's demise from last week to capitalize off of you because they're putting an extra point miss prop out at plus 250. And that, my friends, is terrible value. And the reason why it's terrible value is pure mathematics. When you have a money line, you can convert it to 
the chances it's supposed to happen. It's implied probability. At plus 250, you can easily find the implied probability by taking 250, add 100, over 350. You figure that out for the favorite, whether it's minus 250 or plus 250. So at plus 250, the implied odds for the favorite is saying that he's only going to make an extra point 71.4% of the time. 250 divided by 350 is 71.4%. The real odds of making an extra point is 90%. And this is going by when the extra point was moved back. You can't take the times when they were kicking off from the 10-yard line, kicking the extra point, right? Snap from the two-and-a-half-yard line. So you're getting completely screwed if you are taking plus 250. The correct odds on that is... 90%, take 90 divided by 100 minus 90, which is 10, is plus 900. That's where there's value if if you think there's a 90% or better chance he's going to hit that field goal, which is likely the average over the past couple years. Maybe you think that Maher's not as good. Maybe you think from last week it should be uh, a little bit lower because his confidence is broke. Well, let's take 85%. 85% chance, 85 divided by 100 minus 85 divided by 15 is 566. It should be minus 566 plus 566 or better if you think there's an 85% chance or better he hits this extra point. So basically, the book is just throwing a number out there that in the long run, is going to make them a killing. Because there's over $3 worth of difference from minus 250 to minus 566. So what's even worse about this bet is you know Maher is practicing extra points all week long. I almost bet my house that he's not going to miss an extra point this week. Now, if there's a no and the price of the no is minus 566 or less, you should be pounding that because in the long run, that is a winning bet and you have a 85 to 90% chance, I think, that you are going to hit that bet in itself. Minimum. So next time you see a cute prop out there, remember to do the math on it and figure out what the implied probability should be compared to the sample size that you have already are able to acquire because it's public information, all the stats on missed extra points before you make any of those impulsive plays. Fucking bullshit! All right, now it's time to go over NFL Divisional Week playoffs with our great guest from the Simple Handicap and RAS Sports, Mr. Adam Chernoff. Now I'm really happy to welcome back Mr. Adam Chernoff from the Simple Handicap and Right Angle Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Chernoff. 
Adam, thanks for coming back to the show. How are things north of the border? It's it's honestly the warmest winter that I ever remember. We had the coldest December in history, and the last three weeks have been... It, I, there's got to be something bad coming because it's too good to be carrying on like this. So it's it's all good all the way around. <laughs> That's weird because I'm in Arizona, as you know, and uh, it's been cold. And as a matter of fact, I looked at the forecast the next two weeks, and it's not even going to hit 65 degrees. And I know it's January, but normally it's like 60s and 70s. So we're hitting our cold spell here. I'm, I'm wondering why that is. And maybe the weather's just getting out of its system for the Super Bowl coming in February here. It got to be something. We're high 30s. So that gap between Arizona and Western Alberta, Canada should not be 20 odd degrees. It should be a lot greater than that. So I don't know. There's something brewing out there somewhere. It's coming. But hey, the last three and a half weeks here have just been glorious. Well, that's wonderful, man. Less shoveling snow is always a key thing that I uh, remember from the mid my days in the Midwest for all those years. But you know, down here, I'm just kind of waiting waiting around for the Super Bowl. We had the college football playoffs. And I'm kind of wondering if you're going to make an appearance down here for the Super Bowl. Any, anything in the travel plans? Oddly, not a lot. Um, I was debating about a, a weekend down at Circa for NFL playoffs, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but you never know. We're, we got two more weekends left, so maybe the Super Bowl, it's so much in Vegas. It's not, to me, it's... It's a lot. You're you're not getting nearly the freedom and space that you would typically get in like a regular season weekend, which are busy enough as is. But it's just it's a lot going on. So it's a lot of fun. But um, I don't mind don't mind the old couch setup at home. <laughs> I don't mind the couch. as you get older, the couch looks nicer. That's oh, for the sure. couch is phenomenal. I mean, you got, no question. you got your buddies <laughs> over. You have strip cards. You got you know you got the good food. You don't have to drive. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's oh yeah, that's not bad either. You know, it's not bad. No, uh, if you like events and like girls, you know, you know, check out the Super Bowl at a sports book. You might uh, have some fun. So there you go. But anyways, uh, we have a massive, massive playoff weekend here to talk about but first i want to talk about your shift man i mean you know you're at covers and then i didn't really get to interview since that happened i think i had you on like two weeks before it happened um i'm, I'm just curious about your shift to right angle sports uh and what are the new challenges that you face over there so the the shift was just really interesting timing everything kind of came together at the right moment to make it work it was something that predated the moves to covers by a year or two of the potential of it happening. And they've always been a group that I've had in high respect as has many other people within the industry for the better part of two decades. And so the idea of getting to go work with them um, as they're a professional betting group, there's anywhere from 12 to 16 people working full-time behind the scenes. And when it comes to sort of, Respect and legacy is a better within the industry. Ed Golden, he's as high as it gets. And so to get to go work with him and see how they operate and get to learn from things that they do was was a really good chance for me. And so took that in the latter part of October. And then it's just been kind of playing catch up the last almost almost been there three months full time now. So it's been playing catch up and figuring out how everything goes. But it is been great and it's a really good home at the moment no that is fantastic you know it's a it's great to get uh, experience everywhere because i think you've been on both sides of the book and uh 
you know, just uh, all the education that you get from different places just kind of builds upon you as just growing as a human and as something that you love to do in the industry. So that's wonderful. And uh, your videos are fantastic. And I'm glad they're taking good Gary over there because I've heard about the outfit and I heard it's a definitely a great place to be. Uh, you guys get probably bugged a lot about some of the lines that you have before you even figure it out, don't you? in terms of what he's given out and how that process goes or what do you mean well i suppose as a customer you're like this line just hit <laughs> probably want the information before the line moves that's what i would it's it's um a balance for sure that i think that they've done well in sort of navigating because the truth is anytime that they come up with a bet um, whether they're betting it, whether they're giving it out, it, it's going to move every sports book and the odds completely shifts the market. For sure. And so I, I think there's a lot of people who, because of me or just how social media is available to so many people nowadays are becoming aware of what the guys do over there for the first time. And so they see it. And because it's so different, it's sort of unexpected, especially when it gets to the paid side of things where, um, the service is so popular and so big. And so for someone who's not used to that, coming over, getting a bet, and thinking, okay, I'll bet this later, I'll bet it closer to game time, and then you go just seconds later and it's two, three points different, that can be a shock to the system and a surprise. So there's definitely some some feedback from that, but it's part of part of what they do for sure. Oh, that's for sure. You know, and, and it's fine because I follow it, obviously, and – uh, knowing you guys are on there and moving lines, it's just uh, a little process that you have to do because it gets sometimes it gets overmoved. I've seen some of these smaller FCS lines that just uh, went completely way past the number that you guys gave out. And it's uh, interesting how you got to do some fakes and stuff. It's just a, a new thing that kind of came this year in the market that um, uh, how much something could actually move and when. It might even be profitable past the EV mark to buy back. I always think about that, Adam. It's definitely a thought that probably not a lot of people had months, years ago. Um, but now because it's something that people like the team at Red Angle Sports have the ability to do in shows or give out, becoming something that people are more aware of for sure. So there's, I, I do think there's a lot of the betting world that, Obviously, hasn't seen it yet because it's so big, but it's a, a fun sort of challenge to navigate. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely! You know, the sports betting industry keeps changing and throwing new things at us, but that's we love it. Keeps us on our toes, my man. Let's get into some playoffs, my friend. Divisional playoffs, and I don't think we need to recap that Monday night game. That was pretty disgusting to see what happened to poor old Tom Brady, and uh, there was just they, they were lost from the get go, weren't they? I worst playoff game for sure. I think we've ever seen from him, arguably one of the bet worst we've ever seen him ever. Like in terms of the game plan that they came up with, some of the throws he were making were just bizarre. But I mean, you look at things in, in the rear view now, 65 plus passes for the game, eight run attempts against the Cowboys defense. That's so soft in the middle in a game that wasn't out of reach early on when they still had no interest in running the football. That was um, quite the way to go out, which I would have to think was his last game in Tampa. <laughs> I would have to think so, too. But, um, you know, we'll see where uh, there's some interesting places that are, you know, people are just speculating. You know, I've heard a little Miami speculation. I heard even San Francisco, believe it or not, speculation. I think that 
story is still uh, a work in progress with how good Purdy's doing. But we'll get to that game. Let's start with Jacksonville, Kansas City here. And this is the Betfred odds screen. You can check out Betfred at betfredsports.com. And Jacksonville is a 8.5 point dog. And the total of this game is up to 52.5. I think it was at 53. It looks like it got pushed down a little bit. So, you know, interesting game. I think it's interesting because, well, A, these teams have played each other. And, you know, B, um, there's a lot of hype on what Trevor Lawrence did. And the big narrative this week, Adam, is teams that had the big comeback lose or don't cover the following week. I don't have the stat on that. I don't have the ATS trend. Everyone's talking about this week. I think I had to bring it up. But um, does this narrative hold any water referring to this game in your mind? I, I don't know what the number is either, but it makes sense uh, in terms of, first of all, a team potentially not playing very well if they need to have a massive comeback. But then also that's likely what sticks in the mind and sort of the perception of what the the finishing outcome of that game is, which is not overly reflective perhaps of how the game should have played out. So like if the Jags were down four touchdowns, it wasn't a good game by them to begin with. They come back and now everybody is speaking well against Jacksonville. Whereas a lot of other times that game plays out where it's the complete opposite. We were saying how bad of a game the Jags put forth. And so it makes sense that you would see that as something within the market that doesn't necessarily carry over to the next week in terms of success. So uh, again, I don't know that number, but that would make sense for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's almost a mental thing. You know, you're exhausted from that comeback. Sure. Mentally. So I think a yep. lot, there's a lot of mental and, and physical that go into things. But it's not just when, when we say tired, it's not just physically tired. You're mentally tired from what you have to do. And that's why people talk about travel. And we'll get into the travel spot when we talk about the Cowboys this week. But this spread, I, I understand this spread. Um at first, I liked Jacksonville, and I did. I admit that I did take Jacksonville at the nine. Um, I expected this thing to go down a little bit farther. Um, it's sticking at eight and a half, and I think that's proper, in my opinion. You know, these teams played back in Arrowhead in November. Now, Mahomes sliced them up, man. I mean, they only won Big by time. 10 points, but he, his stats were amazing that game. I watched it. They didn't have any answer from Mahomes rolling to the right. He, he, he's got that pocket presence to know exactly when to shoot out to the right and just extend that time for his receivers and for Travis Kelsey. He knows exactly where Travis Kelsey is going to be. And I always said, you know, double up Travis Kelsey and pray to God, you know, because that's pretty much uh, your only shot at beating the Chiefs. Um, I don't know if they're going to change from that. I, I guess my philosophy when I took the nine, Adam, was that it's. I don't believe in narratives like, you know, you play them three times as a charm or anything like that. But I, what I do believe is there is familiarity, and both these teams were trying to win that game. So I think that would lean a little bit towards the Jaguars. Um, and if the Chiefs do have a weakness, they do allow 4.4 yards per rushing attempt. The Jaguars do average 4.8. I think Trevor Lawrence needs to use his legs a little bit if he wants to be in this game. But the problem is if Kansas City does jump the uh, Jaguars, they're not going to screw up like the Chargers did. They're going to keep piling on the points, you know. And so um, I actually uh, found I'm going to I tease my way out of it, and I you know got past the three, and so I do have a middle setup for me, and uh, we'll get into the other end of that later. But 
I do know another weakness for the Chiefs. And if this is going to be a shootout like this, total says, going past the 51 at 52 and a half here, um, it's their red zone. You know, they give up uh, six points at a 67% clip, you know, in the red zone. They're second worst red zone team on defense. Uh, otherwise, you know, their defense, as long as they keep uh, the teams on their heels, uh, they're they're doing fine because they expect a pass and you know that's how they can put it away from teams. But man, yeah, this this Kansas City team they they've had some weird hiccups. I like the break. My per, my number was actually six point seven five, and that's why I took it. But metrically, I'm not in love with it anymore. What do you think about this game? So I'll be on the other side here. KC at eight and a half to me, I thought was a little bit short of where it should be. Um, not the best matchup for the Jags defense in this one. They struggled particularly against two things, and that's tight end production as well as running back production, both on the ground and through the air as well. And so you think about kind of the staples of the Chiefs offense. It's a lot of Travis Kelsey. It's a lot of Jarek McKinnon out of the backfield. That kind of stabilizes things. And so I think that's going to be a problem for the Jags to manage with the entire game. And the other thing that I would say just from a where we're at perspective, if you look at the last eight weeks of the season for the Jags, sort of that run that they had to get into the playoffs and win the AFC South, to finish things up, they had three weeks in a row, backup or third-string quarterbacks. So they had... Zach Wilson and Chris Streveler. They had Josh Dobbs, and then they had a Davis Mills-Driscoll combination when they played Houston. And that sort of, in that three-week stretch, late December into January, it's really when we saw kind of the Jags from a ratings and price perspective, they get sort of ratcheted up. And I question how much that should have been warranted because of who they played. Because if you look at some of the other games within the schedule, we just saw the Chargers put 30 points up on them in a second half where L.A. didn't show up. And any time they had to step up in class against a better offense, it was 40 points allowed to the Lions. It was 34 points allowed to the Cowboys. Like you mentioned, the Chiefs did some work on them as well, 480-plus yards in that first meeting. And so we really just have this very split Jags team where it's success against really bad quarterbacks and then a bit of a struggle against really good quarterbacks. And we obviously have a very good one here for the chiefs. And so I think off of that game last week coming in here against a good offense, it might be tough for the Jags. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of came to that philosophy after I broke it down and saw some of the weaknesses with the Jags, you know, their defense just isn't good. You know, that's the reason I took the over, in uh, their game against the Chargers. And I was a little worried. It was 27 nothing? I'm like, could this just be uh, the running back, Eckler, all second half? But then, you know, obviously, Brandon Staley showed up, shows up. And, uh, yeah, a little bit more than that. <laughs> didn't have to worry about that anymore. But, uh, you know, that, that's what happens. And that's a lot of big tells when there's a big blowout happening. It's the under you want to look at because the team's going to try to get out of it in many cases. So, um, yeah, uh, no problem. I, I, I'm still sticking with my nine, but it's not at nine. Uh, I tease my way out of it. Let's move on to the Giants versus the Eagles. The Eagles are minus seven and a half. Let's check out our Betfred odds screen. I believe the total is around 48 and a half. I think it's uh, on Betfred. We are at, yes, yeah, a flat 48 right here. I've seen some books, Adam, that it was 48 and a half. But I do have a, a play on this game. 
but I'm gonna let you go first and see uh, if there's anything there. Let's that see if we know. match. Let's see if we match. Well, the big question here is obviously Hurts, right? How healthy is he? Because if he is healthy, I don't know of a situation where we could get to this game being Eagles only seven and a half at home off of the bye. Um, it would be the same price that we saw this game close earlier in the season when the Eagles were in New York. And then we know a couple things. And obviously that game incredibly one-sided. The Eagles put up nearly 50 points. was non-competitive. So you could look at that game in New York and say seven and a half wasn't the right number. I think that's pretty fair. And then you also have the case of obviously we're playing this game in Philly. We're not playing it in New York. So you can have a bit more of an increased price because of the home field advantage switch. And you have the buy, which is definitely worth something, especially when you get into this divisional round of the playoffs. And so all that put together, we're seeing the same price. It's really dependent on Hertz and his health. And this would imply that Hertz is less healthy than he is close to 100%. And because of that, we're at a much shorter number. All that aside, I do think that if there's an element of this where the Giants are getting respect because of what they did last week against the Vikings, I start to question how valuable that win might have been considering how bad of a team the Vikings in reality ultimately were. So I know it was a spot where the Giants were a two-and-a-half-point dog. They go into Minnesota. They look well on offense. They're very efficient with Dable and Kafka, who have been great all year. But, like, what what is beating the Vikings? If they're a below-average team, are you giving the Giants a bump for beating a below-average team that they're maybe undeserving of coming into this? And so it really depends. You can say that this number is really short because of the Hurts situation. You can say that it's short because of the Giants being maybe a little bit overinflated because of the win against Minnesota. Where's, where's the right answer within that? Sort of a, a good discussion point. But um, to me much more inclined to look at this number and believe it's short at seven and a half than I could say I'm going to make a case for the Giants just because we're getting the hook above the seven here. And so to me, it's it's absolutely Philly or nothing. My number's 10. Uh, Which I, is, I think, fair if Hertz is healthy. Yeah, that's my, that's my metric number. I didn't bet it, well, because I don't need to. It's been t- between it. Why would I rush into that? And, you know, 7.5 to 10 is not the biggest um, EV advantage really it's closer to the people think people that know these numbers uh there's you know a the, couple reasons really I mean I, the giant the Eagles are kind of limping into the playoffs the way I see it you know it's kind of weird with Hurts hurt and you know I, I think they took a beating a little bit and you have to look at their strength the schedule it hasn't been that great they had a uh was it a third place schedule this year it wasn't a was it it, it was one of the easiest for sure but yeah it was when they performed quite well against it. They did. They performed great against it. Um, over the last seven weeks, their defense was ranking 11th in EPA. Uh, opponent EPA, I should say, EPA per play. So, you know, I mean, that's a little regression. I'm not super worried about that. I love the fact that they have the bye. Um, the Giants' defense is horrible. <laughs> you know, 5.9 yards per play is what they give up. 28th in opponent EPA per play. Uh, the Giants... Their path to victory, and this is kind of where the Eagles were a little bit susceptible last year, Adam, was against the run because, you know, I think they had some injuries, but they're letting teams run. And I kind of wonder it's because, you know, they're just trying to stop the big play, tighten up a little bit more towards the plus territory, the red zone and all that. 
maybe that has something to do with it. And I did see the Eagles stop the run. I think they stopped uh, the Titans pretty good. But, you know, I mean, the numbers would suggest allowing 4.6 yards per rush, 26 in opponent rush EPA. Is that Saquon Barkley could have a game here? And Daniel Jones is doing exactly what Dayball teaches, running quarterback. You know, he's got Josh Allen learning how to run, which I thought Josh Allen should have done more of last week, by the way. But anyways, uh, you know, Daniel Jones run the ball. Uh, Giants are 4.8 yards per rush. So I think they do score some points. So I guess if you know where I'm kind of leading into, it's the over. Um, and, and I did take the over at 47. Now, um, obviously, I'm hoping for good weather. It, it is in Philadelphia sure. in the winter. And so yep. you're concerned a little bit about that. But the Giants just giving up 5.2 yards per rush themselves. It's funny, I'm bagging on the Eagles rushing defense. But the Giants give up 5.2 yards per rush, 30th in opponent rush EPA. You know, this team, if the clock's not running, if they're, you know, getting big chunks of yards, should be able to uh, score pretty easily. Net yards per play tells me the spread is 10. It's 1.4. You know, the Eagles have a massive net yard per play advantage over them. I, For me, I calculated that one net yard per play is roughly six and a half to seven points of difference. If you're just looking at that one stat, of course, right? Yeah, uh, one point four. You're getting towards the ten, and then add home field advantage. You know, metrically, like I said, I have the ten. If it gets down to seven, I'll be playing the uh, Eagles. But right now, um, I don't. I wouldn't mind using them as a teaser, and we probably just blew through the biggest teaser in the book, Kansas City. <laughs> and the, the a lot Eagles. of people have that in the accounts for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I'm. I'm going that route. I, I'm going to pick my other leg, but. Um, I do think that uh, the over, I mean, the last game went to 70 points for a reason. I don't trust the, uh, when they had their backups, actually, I think that was kind of an advantage sitting back on their heels with Webb playing, you know, kind of watching the Eagles needing the win, at least through the, the first three quarters. I think that was a little bit more of an advantage for the Giants too. So there is familiarity, but I think the over is toast. Uh, I, I would like this all the way up to 50 and a half, Adam. Okay. Strong words. Strong words, my man. Well, well, there you go. Let's move on to Cincinnati versus Buffalo. And, I mean, here's the thing. And this is what you're, we're going to hear all week, and there's going to be a lot of questions, Adam. And I'm sure you're going to cover some of this. But the Bengals' offensive line injuries. My question to you about this. Are these injuries prominent enough for us sports bettors to call them cluster injuries? Um or if not, or if so, how should we rate the line or at least the, uh, penalize the Bengals from where you kind of have them now based upon their uh, Kappa and, uh, was it Williams, uh, their injuries that they currently have? Yeah, so anytime you lose three starting offensive linemen, it, it's impactful. There's no question about it. It makes a difference. The line is obviously much worse up front. What's I would say is the, the most prevalent talking point here is when we get into the point spread, which we've obviously seen adjusted quite a bit from two weeks ago when this matchup took place in Cincinnati is, are, are we maybe overblowing it a little bit? Because there's a couple things to think about. The most obvious would be that Joe Burrow got to the Super Bowl less than a year ago with an offensive line that is much worse than what he will be playing behind in this game on Sunday. So it's a guy that we have very recent proof of uh, being able to succeed behind the bad offensive line. The second thing is you think about what happens when you have a bad offensive line. 
If a team can generate pressure very quickly, that means you're going to have to be throwing it very quickly. That means that you're going to have to adjust your wide receivers' routes to help support that. You're going to need likely a receiving game out of the backfield to help alleviate some of that rush and keep opposing pass rushes honest. When we just look at what the Bengals have been all season, Joe Burrow has the second quickest release time of any quarterback in the NFL. And so he's all season, even behind the really good offensive line, been throwing the football and getting rid of it very, very, very quickly. So this isn't going to be a new change for him where it's this team that goes from like high to low three-second release times with these deep downfield developing routes. It's him already having a very quick release and a lot of these pass combinations for the Bengals being very short, quick passes as is. And the Bills as a team are kind of willing to concede a lot of those things underneath. Like that's the style of defense they want to play. And I have a hard time thinking that they're going to replicate what they did last week against the Dolphins, which was blitzing a ton because of was Skylar Thompson. If they end up doing that, Burrow's going to have success either way. And so I just feel like the way that we're speaking about these offensive line injuries, yes, they're impactful. Yes, they matter, but it's not doom for the Bengals because of how this offense is set up. Not gloom and doom, and I agree with you on that. You know, looking at the Betfred odds, you're at a five, a solid five here. The total of this is at forty eight. So it, you know, it's funny. You, at first glance, you look at this total, and you're like Buffalo Bills scoring all those points. Uh, the Bengals with a very powerful passing game. How's this total 48? Well, metrically, my number came up to 49. So I'm not, not that far off it personally from my algorithm. And this has come down from 51 was the peak that we saw. Uh, that was like yesterday morning. There were some 51s available, a lot of 50 and a half. It's been under money because of the Bengals offense just kind of forced to be restricted because of the injuries, but also what they want to do, how the Bills defend. And then on the other side, it's a, a, a Bengals defense, which is extremely good at in-game adjustments and changing, this, especially once you get later in the game to what offenses are going to do. But also there's that recent familiarity within this matchup. It, it wasn't a full game that was played, obviously. But there was a, certainly a very scripted drive shown for the Bengals to adjust off of. But just how the Bills offense kind of has sputtered out at times recently um, plays a lot into this too. So you look at the total and it's easy to see why it's come down a little bit. Yeah, in the, and of course Buffalo 13 mile per hour winds could be higher or lower. could be raining or snowing by that time. That's Buffalo, you know, it comes in packs <laughs> yep for sure and so it's almost like a free roll that people grab an, an under there but you know, at the same time i mean buffalo's got to be used to it cincinnati it's not like they're a warm weather team either you know that's some of the stuff i look at but i think you keyed in right about what you said that that game i think this is just ugly and the fact that buffalo's hosting it in a way i almost think that C cincinnati probably feels they were a little bit gracious and obviously what happened was terrible and i agree with you know, guy, the philosophy of all that. I agree with the, you know, being canceled or postponed. But you know, at the same time, it screwed them over. You know, they they would have been hosting this game. Why is the coin flip not? I mean, if I'm if I'm in the Bengals, philosophically, I'm I'm kind of like, man, well, 
this is going to piss me off a little bit more. I'm going to go, you know, it's almost a different situation for them. I almost think what you saw last week did have to do with their offensive line, but it, I mean, John Harbaugh is a damn good coach. He did exactly what he was supposed to do to stop it. And it just was that he, he played smash mouth football. He had those guys leading with their helmets on the line. He had them just punching them in the mouth. You know, and that's what you, that kind of team does. It punches you in the mouth, right? At the line of scrimmage, you know, the only other team that does it as hard as them is probably the 49ers, but um, that's the way to stop the Bengals. But, I, I look at the Bills, and even though they do have a great front seven, I, I just feel like they're a little bit more finessey, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they're they're not quite as rough and tough as the uh, Baltimore Ravens. I think the Bengals are fortunate to get out of that, but I think that line is wrong because of it. I was ser- seriously worried about my my Bills side in the beginning of that game until that injury, Adam. I thought I, I I saw a better team in the Bengals, in my opinion, and now they do not have uh, that Kappa most likely. I mean, I think Kappa is listed as questionable. I don't. That's a generous questionable for sure at this point. And, and is Williams generous? Jonah Williams, their other tackle, who's got dislocated that kneecap, kneecap that came right out. Like that's, that's a week to week minimum. It's yeah. I I would be shocked if any of the three. Well, if, if if any of the two, either way, I just don't see it. Right. Well, you know, that's just leading back into what you said. They played with the worst offensive line last year. They still have some good backups. And, uh, you know, they lost a few pass rushers in AJS Epinesa at the end of November. Uh, Jordan Phillips and Daquan Jones is listed as questionable as D-tackles. But the biggest thing is Micah Hyde was their one of their best safeties that went over at, went out at the second game of the year and and obviously you have to remember that um, the Demar Hamlin injury is another safety and I think that was why Skylar Thompson had a little bit of success off them last week but that's very concerning when you have a Jamar Chase a T Higgins a Hayden Hurst a Boyd you know I mean that if Burrow can get get open. In the open field, he can keep this game close. One thing I've noticed about the Bills too, man, Josh Allen just can be real sloppy with that ball. You know, he's he he lets teams back in the game, like the Vikings game. He let the Packers cover at the back door that killed me in my contest plays. You know, that's that's what ben, their mantra has been. I mean, Buffalo's got the stronger offense. They have a one point zero net yard per play. The Bengals, believe it or not, is only point one net yard per play on the positive, which is a little bit mind blowing coming into this game. But you know, both quarterbacks top five in dropback EPA and uh, completion percentage over expectation. You know, I, I mean, they're just fantastic by the numbers. I don't even need to break that down. I think that's a very well known thing. Um, but you know, the Bills not the best. Uh, running game 16th and rush epa and i know that singletary's doing better than he did last year but it's not like going to be the punch you in your mouth type system the bill's weakness is against the pass right now um i think if they get mixing going in the passing game like you saw all playoffs last year that's where it's very dangerous the patriots really showed their path to victory right i thought that they did a great job with uh Ramondre stevenson against this team uh, if it wasn't for those two special teams touchdowns, the Patriots might have won that game. It was a cra- sure. crazy to see yep. that. Uh, the Bills leaking oil all over the place, you know, with with the way they're playing against a terrible Miami team. I mean, if the Bengals are smart, 
they get mixed and involved. I, I have them covering this game. I know it's probably a public play, but I'm taking them at five. So okay. uh, I feel good about that one. But we'll see uh, We'll see what happens in Buffalo. Uh, did you make any plays in this game? Because I'm also looking at a prop I want to run by you. I, I was on the under, but that is since moved, so I wouldn't be jumping into bed under 48. Okay. Well, my question is sack prop would be possibly in the works here. Because if that offensive line is really that bad, will the books adjust quick enough to make it high enough? Because Joe Burrow in itself gets sacked even with good offensive lines. So a a way to hedge and possibly hit both plays, if I can get enough down, is taking a sack prop, obviously, on the Bengals. Or against the Bengals on the Bills. I mean, it'll definitely be adjusted up. The question is, will it be high enough to reflect what could be on the field um but it'll it'll certainly be higher than it usually is yeah no that's fair enough so definitely want to ask that question um i might be attacking uh hedging my somewhat at least plus five here with sack prop so let's move on to the biggest story i guess would be the 49ers with brock purdy and <laughs> the Mr. Ins- insignificant i think it is last pick of the draft right here we go there we go baby And the Cowboys, I mean, this line is three and a half. The total is 46. Looking at Betfred odds screen here, let me share that. Um, It is still three and a half, total flat 46. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting, and I wanted to ask you, uh, was was there a look ahead if it was going to be versus uh, Dallas or Tampa? And uh, what was the adjustment if there was after the Niners beat Seattle? There wasn't anything that was posted and widely available for that um so that was that was to be determined what i have seen around was that the early speculation was this game was going to open four and that's where it did open and dallas has been bet since so there wasn't much else that was lingering around all right so fair enough on that so here's the thing with me this the, the big narrative too here is the Brock Purdy doubting, you know, I mean, I, I'll admit I was involved in some of his doubting. I think the first Seattle game during the season, I took Seattle. They fumbled the ball away, just like they fumbled the spread away in the second <laughs> half of that last game. I, I didn't touch it. I didn't, I didn't take him last game, but I did. I was trying to, you know, find a good spot to fade the young quarterback, but that narrative has burnt tickets and costed people a lot of money. Hasn't it, Adam? No, it sure has. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, I mean, is there a point where, of course, it's the point where you're not going to bet them. Maybe they lose. That's just how, you know, people think, right? (laughs) That's the law. That's right. Yep. (laughs) That's the law. If you want the Cowboys to win, don't let me bet on them. All right. They played wonderful. And it was one of the best games I've seen Dak play, you know, on Monday. It was, of course, you're, you're going against a terrible Tampa team that was always a step behind them. But they played to the strengths, you know, and and what that was, was uh, the Cowboys, they didn't have to deal with a lot of deep balls to really stretch their defense out. It was a lot of over the middle that Brady was doing. Then eventually checked down, but by that time, you know, they're kind of come crashing down on White and Fournette and, you know, the tight ends there. Yep. So, you know, it's it, it's one of those situations was just a terrible game plan by Leftwich. Uh, you know, it, I thought it was awful. But um, 
I, Kyle Shanahan's not that stupid. Uh, he's going to get guys in space, uh, three-step drop, quick stuff. He's going to stretch it out a little bit to Ayuk, and yeah, he's going to tire that defense out. But, you know, th- there's a couple problems that I have with the Niners. If you really look at their schedule, and this is what nobody's really talking about, Adam, their strength of schedule is bad. It's really bad. I mean, they came in with a third or fourth place. It was a fourth place schedule, I think. Or no, is it third? I don't know. It might have been a third place schedule. So, you know, I'm I'm definitely concerned about that. And uh, you know, I wonder if we should factor in straight schedule here. Dallas has point only point three net yards per play. The Niners are a positive one. You got the Niners are a little better than that, you know, because they had their injury woes earlier in the season. Uh, Dallas relatively healthy except for that first left tackle that was out I guess in the beginning of the year then their defense was a little bit banged up I guess towards the end but um both teams passed the ball well the Niners 7.7 yards per pass Dallas is at 6.6 the Cowboys to me are Jekyll and Hyde um I, I a lot of people are saying the four this is the fourth week of travel well if it didn't work, happen the third week of travel you're really going to factor in the fourth week for now they probably like used to it you know so i don't want to hear that narrative from people uh, i maybe it affects it somewhat but i mean uh, this is the playoffs here but if dad can get flustered there's no better person to fluster him than a kyle shanahan defense that throws stunts and um or say i should say a san francisco defense and with joey bosa or Nick Bosa actually possibly disrupting Dak, fumbling the ball in those types of situations. But I, I, one thing I am concerned is that I did watch when the 49ers stepped up in class. The 49ers have uh, played the worst passing defenses in the league this year, minus worst passing offenses, minus Kansas City and the Raiders. And when they played Kansas City and the Raiders, they got scored on 34 or more points, 34 and 44. Can Dak get it together and get this passing game going? Because I am seriously concerned for their secondary. If they don't get to the quarterback, then you see a game like what happened with Kansas City, and they could be exposed. So my point is I'm talking myself out of both sides. and My number's five. uh, It's my pure metric number. But there's nothing I can do at the three and a half, Adam. So a lot going on here. Let's start with Purdy. Um, He has led the league in time to throw as well as open receiver percentage. And that I think is often wrongly interpreted as like a lucky situation to be in, but it really ties into the Kyle Shanahan scheme, which is so good at getting guys open and so good at taking pressure off of quarterbacks. That's why we're seeing him have so much success. So that's kind of like number one. So when you're saying that like, not you specifically, but anyone's like, well, when is this going to fall off? And when is he going to come back to reality? And when does this happen? It's, it's a seventh round quarterback that's being treated as such. That's in a perfect offensive system for not only him, but almost any quarterback to succeed with a ton of playmakers around him. And so those playmakers aren't going away. The scheme isn't going away. The Cowboys are not going to be a defense that sets up well to just derail all of that. And so, there's just not uh, there's not enough talent in the secondary to completely shut this down. And the biggest weakness for Dallas is in the middle of the field and their defensive line where the Niners are extremely efficient at running the football. 
It's just this is a bad matchup, not just for Dallas, but for any team. So that's kind of the purdy thing on the side. What I think is maybe a more interesting angle within this game than that, when we get into saying like who of the Niners played and how has it gone, there's no question the strength of schedule has been light, but the team continues to exceed expectations on the point spread. Since Purdy's come in, you look at the point spread record, the only blemish within all of that was, like you mentioned, that Raiders game, where that was the the whole Stidham experience in a massive game for him and McDaniels and how that played out. Otherwise, it's been consistent for what this team's been able to do. Defensively for the 49ers, in that Seahawks game, although Geno wasn't able to fully exploit it, there were guys running wide open that was uncharacteristic for this D'Amico Ryan's defense. And that's, I think, kind of interesting when you start to look at the Cowboys with the addition of T.Y. Hilton, three wide receivers that can get open in space, and it's not just the C.D. Lamb show. That's kind of an interesting thing to to look at within this matchup, especially if the Cowboys are playing from behind and need to kind of increase a little bit of urgency within this. And so where I kind of get to putting all that together, this total at 46 to me is short, below 47. Um, I, I see this number needing to be higher considering how much offensive success the Niners have, no matter what happens how they match up against this Cowboys defense as well as what the Cowboys could potentially do on offense against this Niners defense, which, again, there were guys wide open uh, for the Seahawks that if that's the same case this week, the Cowboys are going to score too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 46 right now flat. I believe the weather is supposed to be good there. Last week it was supposed to be bad. Then the sun came out. and Yeah, no weather concerns for this one. Yeah, no weather concerns. Yeah, I, I can see it being a little bit low. Yeah, that's that's a good I'm, – I'm going to look at my number right now on this total. Mine's 47. So, yeah, it's a little bit low according to my metrics here. So 47.1. I can definitely see this. And that's – you know, it, there's a lot of desperation when it comes to playoffs too, you know. so Always, yep. Yeah, so you're going to get – you're going to get a lot of crazy plays that can go both ways, you know, any pick sixes – Special teams desperations can happen. Um, it's funny this. Uh, uh, Brett Maher is getting a lot of crap this week for those uh, missed extra points, and <laughs> I explained earlier that uh, I, I'd be danged if he missed one this week because he's probably only practicing extra points going into his field. So that was a rough outing, no question. That was a rough outing. Well, so great stuff, Adam. I mean, to recap. I'm taking I took the Jaguars at nine, but you like Kansas City eight and a half, so we have some disagreement on that one. I like the over forty seven to forty eight. I took forty seven. It's at forty eight right now in the Giants uh Eagles game. Did you have a play on that? I don't think it would be Eagles or pass. Eagles or pass. That's seven and a half. Yeah, because my yep. num- my number's ten on the Eagles. Uh Bengals, I like them at plus five. And uh did you play the Bills? Uh, I had the under, but I would not play it right now at 48. You would not play it at 48. And then uh, on this, you're taking the over on the 46. Okay. That, that Of everything that's still out on the board, the over at 46 for Dallas-San Francisco would be my look. Yep. Okay, fair enough. So the obvious teaser is definitely 8.5 down to the 7.5. I'm still a big believer on the Bengals, and I get a lot of crap from people that say, you know, you only tease past the two and a half to seven and a half. And that's 90, 99% of my teasers are that. But I actually kind of like, I think the Bengals keep it closer. I, I wouldn't 
hate going from five to 11, passing the six, seven, eight's a little bit more key lately, um, and the 10. So uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, teasers or philosophy on that? Most obvious teaser of the week and maybe ever is that Chiefs Eagles teaser. Uh, hard not to play that yeah. is, is yeah. the philosophy this yeah. week. Yeah. It'll be the, the only people that probably are not going to be on it are the people who say that, well, everyone's going to be on this, so I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know how you don't like that teaser one way or the other. That's called the uber contrarian that does that. <laughs> I, it's where you're talking yourself out of talking yourself out of what you wanted, but what you don't. Yeah. I call that it's, talking yourself out of making money. <laughs> there you go. Well, can't go that far, but look, you get, you get both teams off the buy at home with really good matchup advantages past history of success against these teams relatively recently. And, and you're looking at those numbers, and you can make a pretty strong case that they should both be higher. And if you're teasing down for spots where you can find it, like it's um, a pretty good pretty good two-team teaser, no question. I think San Fran wins the game. I just don't know if it's going to be over three points. You know, uh, I think the coaching will come in and everything you said. They, they When they play a bad schedule, you, it's almost like Georgia, right? It's like Georgia's beating teams past their expectation. So the rate when you beat a team past their efficiency expectation, the rating goes up on that team anyway. You know, so is that kind of the correct philosophy to look at San Francisco? It's it's one thing to say that like okay, here's the strength of schedule. They're beating bad teams. Uh, Jacksonville beating bad teams with bad quarterbacks. There's no question about it. Um, what really becomes important is saying like okay, is that a spot where we have seen the team sort of get priced higher going forward. Like, is this a team that we've seen get bumped up in rankings that are published across the internet? Is this a team that's increasing in popularity? And if so, is that justified? And I, I think that it's a bit of a different way of thinking because it's easy to look at the Niners schedule, say they're not beating anybody. It's a seventh round quarterback. Like, uh, this is the week where it all falls apart. But then you're doing that week after week after week after week where the 49ers just continue to exceed expectation. They continue to cover. They continue to look better and better on offense. There's there's a little bit more going on um, than just being able to sort of identify that one spot where it falls apart. It's just a really good football team with a really good scheme that continues to exceed expectation. Absolutely. No disagreement there. I like the Niners. I I, I kind of went into it like I think the Eagles and the Niners are just a step above the rest of the NFL. So we'll, we'll, let's hope we get that great matchup, you know, coming into the conference week of the playoffs. Adam, thank you so much for coming on this show and breaking down all your thoughts on these games. Where could our viewers and our listeners get your great media and great plays? Really easy. Um, just on Twitter at Adam Chernoff, and then everything else is handicapper.net for Red Angle Sports. All right. Make sure you guys check out Adam. He is a great foul and a plethora of sports betting information. Have a great weekend, Adam. You as well. Enjoy the, the final four games before we get to two and one game weekends. All right, my friends, you guessed it. We got to take this teaser as well. Kansas City Chiefs. Take them down to minus two and a half with the Philadelphia Eagles down to minus one and a half. It's just too good not to. 
Uh, I think both teams should win this game. Not sure if they're covering the larger spreads past the touchdown this day and age in the NFL, this important of a playoff game. But uh, I definitely am taking this teaser for 1.5 stars. I also have other ideas for the Eagles that are reserved for premium subscribers. Make sure you check out Better Odds Sports Betting this Friday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 12 p.m. Pacific to go over some more of these games. Now it's time for some college basketball for your huge sports weekend. Now it's time to get into a little college hoops for the weekend. So this segment, we're going to bring back our buy low, sell high teams coming into this weekend and actually next week for the near future. Buy low means teams have already peaked at their bottom or they're just being undervalued still on the efficiency sites. You can still buy low on these teams where I think that they should be rated higher. Sell high is when teams have already hit their peak and we want to start fading them in their next matchups. That's what buy low, sell high means. And I will try to come up with the best teams to cover that have the opportunity to bet on or off of the next week or so for their upcoming games. Obviously, Kentucky would have made this in the buy low (laughs) because Kentucky just won two games in a row and one of them was against Tennessee. So that probably would have made our buy low segment and I wish I would have had it last week. So first, let's start with sell high. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Iowa. Now, Iowa is up to 30th on Ken Palm. I think that they're probably in the top 40 or 50 teams, but I also have watched this Iowa team, and they have definitely have had some luck, in my opinion, over the, the past few games. They're down to Indiana at home, a very injured Indiana team then came back and won. They actually went to Rutgers and beat Rutgers, and I give them credit for that. And Rutgers is probably a team that you would sell high on on the road, right? So Iowa just a little bit overrated. I don't think Iowa's team is nearly as good as they were last year when they had that one of those top picks in Keegan Murray go out for the draft. You know, Patrick McCaffrey is hurt. They still have Chris Murray at least, but they lost Jordan Bohannon. He was kind of their clutch performer from last year uh, and a few other guys. So definitely selling high on Iowa. The next one is Seattle. Seattle is a team that ranks number two in the luck factor on Ken Palm. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to rush to fade them at home. I've actually watched some of their games in their home court arena, and they are, I would say, a very good home team. You know, I don't know where they're ranked for home teams, but I do know that when they hit the road, which is coming very soon, this will be a time where I probably will fade Seattle. They won't hit the road until next week, though. They get an easy Tarleton State team 
at home this weekend. Um, and they get a Southern Utah team at home as well. So I might be fading Seattle because I think it's time to uh, switch on them. They're 14-4 and four and winning a bunch of one-score games. And finally, LSU is a sell-high team. You know, LSU, I still think is way overrated, even though you're going to see them pretty low on Ken Palm. I think they're actually lower. You know, uh, they're 106th on Ken Palm. I think this team is done. They lost five games in a row. Uh, every single loss after Kentucky, and Kentucky was a little overrated for a while, right? Then they trended back up, was by double digits. You know, now they have to play Tennessee at home. It's probably going to be a do or die spot for them. But I think that if they start getting beat right away, this team will have a lot of quit in them and they will be giving up. You know, Tennessee, very solid team, number one on defense. I don't see Tennessee, I don't see LSU scoring a lot of points uh, against Tennessee. So obviously those three, and I might as well throw in Rutgers. I mean, I don't know how they're in the top 20 on Kempom. They have this kid, Cam Spencer, that's done really well from three. Through to, shooting about 47% from three. I think he does that at home well, but when he hits the road again, you know, I will, will probably be fading them. They actually get their road revenge spot uh, in about a week or week and a half against Iowa. But they're on the road t- uh, Thursday night, and you'll get this podcast after that, and I already put a play on Michigan State. Teams that are by low. We're going to go to Wisconsin. That's right, my Badgers. They're only 67th on Ken Palm. Well, part of that reason is because Tyler Wall uh, missed half the Minnesota game, and he missed against Illinois, Michigan State, and Indiana, and those losses were bad. you know. And so that moved their rating down, and he is such an important person to this team, probably worth five points, five or six points to this team that the adjustment has been over over allocated, let's just say. So Wisconsin is a buy-on team where you're buying low. USC is a buy-low team as well. They are very good on the road. You know, for some reason, USC is one of those teams that just plays extremely well on the road. If I look at their rating here, they are 2.67, one of the top away-from-home teams, top eight away-from-home teams in the nation. Thinking about making a play on Arizona or against them against Arizona tonight, I am not sure yet. I'm waiting on the spread a little bit more. It's a bad spot for USC because, you know, Arizona coming off that ugly loss, USC coming off two wins, but definitely on Saturday I'll be looking to back USC. And then finally, another buy-on team would be Clemson. Now, Clemson, it's not like they're trend beginning to trend up. They've been trending up slowly for a while, but I think they're overrated from the start, and there's still some meat on the bone where they're going to trend up. I watched this Clemson team play. You know, I watched them beat Duke at home. We were on them last week if you got that play. They, I'm glad that they got that loss at Wake Forest because Wake Forest is a 
Uh, also probably a little bit of an underrated team. 72nd right now on Ken Palm. You know, I think they're probably a buy low team themselves. They're going to get Virginia at home. <laughs> Look can only be a three-point spread, though. So uh, still thinking about that one. We'll see what that comes out with on Saturday. But Clemson, I think, is going to get a Virginia Tech team that finally got Hunter Couture back. And Hunter Couture had a pretty decent game against Virginia. Not a great game. And that's why they lost by 10 points. Uh, but this is a, just another away game. Lots of people are going to be on Virginia Tech to, you know, as a, a spot to creep back up into the rating, rankings. And Virginia Tech's ranked 49th and Clemson is 67th. Well, you're probably going to get Clemson as a home dog or at least at Pickham. So I think Clemson's very underrated and definitely a good potential play for the weekend itself. All right, let's get into three big games for Saturday then. North Texas versus UAB. UAB minus three. Total is 135. That's where I predict the spread. North UAB should be favored here. Um, it's going to be like a matchup of fast versus slow because UAB ranks eighth in average possession length while North Texas ranks dead last at 363. Now, the Mean Green pride themselves on defense and they rank uh, 100, sorry, 38th actually in opponent efficiency. The Blazers pride themselves on offense, ranking 33rd in offensive efficiency. See how these kind of clash. The big issue with UAB is if they have a cold night, they struggle to score and they can get blown out. Uh, they play fast, which means they're giving more opportunities to their other opponent. Their field goal percentage is only 48.6 from two. They have lost their point guard, Jordan Walker, the last two games to a leg injury, so he's going to be questionable coming in. And I think that's really tough playing without him. And North Texas might not be a good shooting team themselves, 48.4 effective field goal, but they already have played fast teams and have succeeded. So I like that they've seen the pace. They've played FIU. They've played UMass, they've played Louisiana Tech. So North Texas is a little bit battle-tested coming against these faster-paced teams. So it's a big spot for North Texas. They lost this game, I think, by one last year. No, they won it by one last year. So they should be able to take care of business. Now, they do play Rice tonight. You know, We'll see what happens if any injuries or anything crazy happens in that game. That would change my outlook. But I would like North, North Texas all the way up to minus two in this game. So take them for two stars. Last week, fucked around and got a triple double. Next game, we're going to go right to one of the teams I'm fading. Iowa versus Ohio State. Ohio State's going to be laying probably four and a half points. Total 155. Ohio State's been terrible lately. But this is just another buy low spot, sell high spot. You know, we're selling high on Iowa. We're buying low on Ohio State. You know, Ohio State is ranked pretty high, so he didn't make my column for the buy low. But I also think that this is a perfect spot to back Ohio State because they lost somebody themselves, Zed Key. Zed Key is their big rebounding guy, their big guy in the middle, and very needed 
when it comes to playing these big games. Now, Ohio State hasn't had a lot of big victories. I guess you call Rutgers at home when they won by one point. But when they lost Key, you know, they had a tough schedule. Purdue at home, away at Maryland. You know how Maryland can be at home, right? That hurt. And that's when Zed Key was out. And somehow they had that awful call that would have forced overtime against Minnesota. And Minnesota came in, shooting the lights out. That awful call made them lose the game. Then it was, then against Rutgers, they had to go away and away again. Big 10 away games are tough. Now they're in a desperate spot after losing five games in a row. You know, So this is a buy-on spot for Ohio State. Ohio State, believe it or not, beats Iowa in almost every major category. Ohio State, effective field goal percentage, 72nd. They are three-point percentage, 20th. Free throw percentage, 79th. Looking at Iowa, 107th in effective field goal, 170th in free throw, 88th in two-point percentage, 136th in free throw percentage. You know, I mean, Iowa takes care of the ball. That's their mantra. But going away, it's going to be a little bit different. So this is going to be a four to four and a half point spread, in my opinion. I think Ohio State takes care of business easily in such a big game, and they rally the troops. Big game for Chris Holtman after losing five Big Ten games in a row in very tough spots. Take Ohio State minus 4.5. I like this a lot. We'll throw three stars on that, baby. Hot rash with more covers in his first year than any rookie model ever and an attitude that says who cares it's only fashion that hansel's so hot right now next game we have wisconsin first northwestern sorry for the pause there northwestern minus three and a half total 122 same situation here these two teams hate each other this matchup's going to have some fireworks. Say what you want about the Badgers. They stink at shooting, ranking 181st in effective field goal percentage. And they play sl- slow defense, 350th in pace. But Wisconsin's defense ranks 24th in the league. That's good. Looking at the Wildcats, they rank even worse in effective field goal, 339th, with a slower pace of 220th. You know, so... What's been getting Northwestern through? Well, I would probably say the fact that everyone isn't ready for them. You know, they kind of look at them as one of those rollover Big Ten teams. But Northwestern got to play Illinois when Illinois was injured. They got to play Indiana away when Indiana was also very injured. You know, those a couple of those wins. I do give them credit for beating Michigan State early in December. Michigan State, I think, has gotten it together a little bit since then. But Wisconsin, as I said before, much different team with Wall than without Wall. Now Wall's had a game under his shoes with his ankle, and it has been improving. Wisconsin, like I said, turnovers are important. The Badgers don't turn the ball over, ranking third in the nation in turnover percentage. Now, they can't shoot three throws well. They rank 307th in free throws. Pretty bad from two. Pretty good from three, ranking 56 at 36.5%. 
And that's how they stay in this game. I don't like backing favorites that can't shoot free throws because of the foul city at the end. But dogs, on the other hand, shouldn't have to worry about it because if they're winning anyway, you're probably going to cover the spread unless catastrophe happens. Wisconsin, very well put together, great passing team, slow grinded out. Northwestern, also a very slow grinded out team themselves. They rank really well on defense, 15th, but their offense is just so bad and effective field goal that you got to think that this is going to be a very low scoring game. That's why the total is 122. That's going to be a low total. I wouldn't take that under, but being that points will come at a premium, you're going to get Wisconsin at the three, three and a half. And I like Wisconsin to cover that. So I like Wisconsin for sure down to three, try to find a three and do it for 2.5 stars. Now I'm going to go a little hodgepodge here for Saturday's games. And, you know, Tennessee LSU, Ken Palm has this spread 12, has the metrics, has it more like 15 and a half, 16, it looks like. So, you know, I mean, this if this thing is around 12, I will probably be on Tennessee. I bet you Tennessee's still feeling that loss to Kentucky. Uh, LSU will be quick to give up. I would not take Tennessee in the first half. I would take... Uh, I would take Tennessee maybe in the second half if for some reason this game is close. But we're going to be looking at that game a little bit. Maybe the best game is going to be UCLA uh, at home against Arizona. I think that's going to be a massive game themselves. So uh, for, for both of these teams is what I'm trying to say. And Arizona has not been the Arizona of the past. Uh, I think some teams are kind of figuring them out a little bit. They're very fast. You know, they are kind of a run and shoot dribble drive offense very fast paced but they also pass after the drive when they drive to the lane they make a couple extra passes scoring the ball i mean if anybody should know this it's a very experienced ucla team ucla is gonna be favored by six five or six points though that's that's where you're uh wondering we'll see what happens with arizona tonight against usc Alabama, Missouri, you know, some of these spreads for Alabama are not as big as they should be. I think Alabama's a fantastic team. I mean, they're already kind of at the top almost, ranking fourth on Ken Palm. You know, they won seven games in a row. You know, I mean, this is going to be a six or seven point spread against Missouri, and it's going to be a away game for Alabama. It's a big spot for Missouri. They just beat Arkansas. But, man, Alabama is just a different animal. They have some studs on this team. You know, Noah Clowney, you know, great freshman right there. Brandon Miller, you know, another great freshman that's 6'9". These guys are just almost like the Dukes of the years in the past, you know, if I was going to compare them. You know, it's it's Alabama or nothing for me. Uh, you know, I know Missouri, great home team. They did lose to Kansas, though, back in December, but... It's Alabama or nothing. I don't care if the spread's nine and a half. I'm not sure if I'm going to bet it, but you know that's just kind of my thoughts on how good of a team Alabama is. Um, St. Mary's Santa Clara is an interesting game because St. Mary's is at home and they're going to be a big spread. Uh, I think Santa Clara has been a little bit of an underrated team myself. If this thing is up to 13 or 14 points, I'm going to consider Santa Clara. 
Kansas versus TCU. Now that Kansas has that loss against uh, Kansas State. Boy, that was a close game, and that was one of my losses this week. Uh, I think that TCU um, is a greatly coached team by Jamie Dixon. Um, not sure if I'm going to back them going into the fog. <laughs> you know, I, I would almost probably lean a little bit more Kansas, even though the spread's going to be pretty big. I can see kind of TCU letting off the steam a little bit. They, I think they're getting a little bit overrated too. Not sure if they're uh, into fade status or sell high status, but they certainly are uh, getting a little bit high. Uh, Baylor versus Oklahoma. If this is seriously going to be like under two, three points, I'm going to be all over Baylor, this team. You know, Baylor, they are just getting better. Baylor has an absolutely wonderful coach, you know. Uh, Baylor's 17th on Ken Palm. I think they're more of a top 10 team. Oklahoma's also got Porter Moser over there. But Oklahoma, man, losing to Oklahoma State that way, coming home having to face Baylor, uh, a fast-paced team. You know, I might look towards the over even in this game. It's going to be kind of like a speed versus slow it down. Oklahoma ranks 289th in average possession length. Not terrible, but definitely on the slower side. But they do shoot a good effective field goal at uh, ranking 16th. You know, they turn the ball over a lot, which is very dangerous against a Baylor team. I would say I would look to Baylor. And it's going to be a high over, probably 146, 147. I, I might just stick with Baylor here, you know, if I can get anything under three uh, in that game. So those are the games that interest me. I think that the other one I mentioned with USC at Arizona State might be one where I pound on USC here just because their coach uh, Andy Enfield is just so good, <laughs> you know, and I think they're gonna, they're like I said, very underrated. So that's the other one I'm going to be looking at for sure. But we'll see when the card comes out on Friday in most of these books. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about UFC 283. Wasn't really planned for me to talk about it. It's going to be in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro. Glover Teixeira versus Jamahal Hill is a main event. I don't know why Divison Figueiredo versus Brandon Moreno is not the main event because I guess Glover is Brazil too. But I mean, Divison's the one that, you know, made the big deal rematch coming into Brazil. I thought they would be the headliners. But, anyways, I, Glover Teixeira, you've got wrestling and oldness versus young power in Jamahal Hill. I saw all Jama Hill fights, and he's amazing. You know, Jama Hill is absolutely fantastic. Glover fought his best fight against Yuri Prokoska, and I don't know how the heck he gave that one up. He won that game, if match, I should say, if it would have went to the cards, but it didn't go to the cards because he screwed up. He let off the pressure. He put himself in a bad situation. Yuri just grabbed his neck, you know. Now, Jamal Hill, he has that ugly loss against Paul Craig, right? And that was back. Um, he was the stupid one to let Paul Craig grab his arm. Bear Jew. He's actually fighting in this card as well. You know, I don't know if he can make that mistake again. But he, be, he beat Jimmy Crute. 
decent guy, not great. He'd be Johnny Walker, which is has a glass chin, <laughs> you know, in the first round. And then it took all the way to the fourth to fight and beat uh, older Tiago Santos himself. But, you know, Glover Teixeira is better than Tiago Santos. Glover Teixeira is better than all three of these guys by a lot. You know, you're looking at it close to a pick em. And getting Glover with this de- with this price is uh, a pretty good price, in my opinion. I think he's a slight dog in some of these areas just because of his age. Glover, you know, 43 years old, uh, 6'2", 205-pound fight. But, you know, just his wrestling himself, if he can get Jamahal Hill to the ground, I can see uh, him winning this match. I always lean wrestlers, and we're going to get a guy that fought Yuri that hard and that good. Uh, as a dog, I'm going to have to make that bet. You know, I think it's a good live betting situation because, yeah, I mean, if Glover can't get him to the ground, he might lose his fight. He might even get knocked out. But Glover Teixeira is probably a best move, I would even say, by submission. You know, submission, a choke would uh, definitely be possible. Um, I don't see him knocking out Jamal Hill. If I can get a good price on inside the distance, you know, then, you know, just I'll, I'll take that if it's too close to the sub. But Jamal Hill by knockout is probably going to be an okay price. But actually, the price isn't okay. It's only minus 105. Yeah, no way I would do that. So Glover Teixeira by sub is plus 250. I think that's a good look. And if I actually go up to the win by finish, let's see what Glover... Plus 165. Mm, that's possible. Ground and pound. You can get him in a ground and pound situation. If it goes to the distance, not sure if uh, Glover wins this one. I think if it goes the distance, it means that he probably took on a lot of damage. So I'm going to be looking at that one. I'm probably going to I'm gonna take Glover. In some sort of method, maybe you take the plus 115 that he's at right now uh, for more and then just put a little sprinkle on him by submission. So that's what we're going to do for this one. You know, and moving down the card to the Deveson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, uh, these fights are these fighters are equal. Now, Moreno fought Deveson in Mexico, so he now was gracious to do it in Brazil where Deveson's from. So, you know, that's why you see Deveson at minus 115, you know, but this this fight's been going back and forth, really. <laughs> it has. And Moreno's probably got the better ground game. Deveson's got the little bit better stand-up game. Yeah. This is a tough one for me. I think Deveson's a little bit better, but he's also older. Moreno's only 29 years old. Deveson is 35 years old. <laughs> this fight was a draw back in 2020, you know. It's just uh he lost then in Deveson lost to Brandon Moreno in June of 2021, then he won in January of 2022. And man did time fly because I feel like this fight just happened. <laughs> it's been a year. So, not sure what Deveson's done for the last year, but he d- tends to struggle making weight as well. So, um, if both these fighters were the same age, 
I'd probably go with Divison. I think this is a perfect number, having Divison minus 115 in Brazil right here. You know, he, he's got the championship, probably took a little bit off, lost a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful price and no reason to get invested upon it. I think this is one you just enjoy watching the fight. Gilbert Burns versus Neil Magny. Gilbert Burns looked awesome against Kamzat Chimaev, but, you know, here he is as a minus 450 against Neil Magny. <laughs> Gilbert Burns, I've seen him really choke up some fights himself. So this is one of those where you kind of have a trustworthy or a non-trustworthy guy as a massive favorite. I did not like how Burns, you know, fought against uh, Stephen Thompson. You know, I thought Stephen Thompson did a pretty good job. He did great against Kamzat, like I said, but he actually did okay against Usman until the end. Is his gas tank there? Because Neil Magny does have a gas tank. Probably another good price in this situation, but one I'm not even going to put in my parlays. Jessica Andrade versus Lauren Murphy. Andrade is awesome. Strongest fighter in her weight class. I think that minus 500 is proper for her. Like to find a dance partner for her. Uh, maybe be like a Johnny Walker against Paul Craig. I think Walker, as bad as his jaw is, he's finally got a fight against a guy that just falls on his back. And I don't think Johnny Walker's stupid enough to uh, fall for that. Now, Walker's been a fade guy against anybody that can punch. But now that he's fighting Paul, Paul Craig, the Bear Jew, who just submits guys, <laughs> I think that maybe you're going to get uh, Johnny Walker in a good situation finally. It took a while, but finally. you know. So I will say that Paul Craig did get a tiki take... TKO against Jamahal Hill. I thought it was a sub, but I forgot that he just had his arm and was pounding away and Hill couldn't move, but Hill wasn't even that injured. So it was a kind of a strange situation, you know, with his little vice grips, his boa constrictor like body. You know, he, there's a chance he can grab on Johnny Walker, but, you know, Johnny Walker, much better stand up, you know, much better stand up. And actually looked pretty good against Ion. Uh, Kutalaba, his last fight. So I would say Johnny Walker by, maybe by KO. Uh, Bear Jews lost by KO three times in his career. Last time was against Menafield uh, back in 2019. So that's the look I'm going to do. We're going to do Johnny Walker by KO, and we're going to bet Glover to share a plus 115 with a little bit of a third of a unit or so on him by sub at plus 250. Well, I've been with the best and I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. <laughs> now it is time for The Sharp Side of the Force. The Sharp Side of the Force is brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred and use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right. We're going to go right to the NFL then. And Sharp Money actually kind of hit the Jaguars a little bit at the plus nine. Uh, 45% of the bets and 86% of the money. Look, Kansas City betters are just waiting to see how far this thing's going to go down. So you're going to get some uh, sharper money on the Kansas City too. As you know, Adam Chernoff likes Kansas City. 
I personally lean the Jaguars at that price. I like them at nine, as you know. But uh, I also am okay with uh, the best teaser on the board with the Chiefs against the Eagles as a little recap from the show earlier. Giants versus Eagles, a little bit of money on the Giants at the plus 7.5, 62% of the tickets, 73% of the money. I personally am an Eagles backer for the most part. I'm not going to bet them at 7.5, but if I can get a clean 7, um, I'm going to consider it. And it looks like some, some more 7s are popping up. I wonder how low this thing goes, but my money is on something else, if you remember, and that is the over. The Bengals versus the Bills, uh, from minus 3.5 to minus 5.5, 33% of the tickets on the Bills, 80, 66% of the money on the Bills, so sharp money on the Bills. And then uh, Cowboys versus Niners, at the plus four, it went down to plus three and a half for a while, 34% of the tickets and 70% of the money. Probably more of a numbers play. Uh, moving to sharp totals, this is uh, the Jaguars Chiefs went up to 53, but there's a little bit of buyback there, nothing too special. Sharp money on the Giants versus Eagles over 46.5 to 48, 77% of the tickets, 81% of the money. Sharp money on the Bengals versus the Bills over 48.5 now to 49 in some books, 69% of the tickets, 96% of the money. And then the Cowboys versus the 49ers, uh, not really much sharp money on this one. It's stuck around the 45.5 to 46.5 in some books. Books. My friends, if you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at the Oddsbreakers. If you want us to read a question on this show for you next Monday, please tweet us at the Oddsbreakers or send us a message at info at the Oddsbreakers.com. We have a huge card this weekend. I hope you win all of your bets. I hope you enjoy all the games and the fights. And go get some winners.